Hello and welcome to the Rogers Brief. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. I've had uh, quite a few new uh, watchers, listeners, subscribers over the last uh, week or so. So thank you uh, to everybody who's joining us. And uh, make sure if you if you like this stuff to uh, share it with a friend, um, share it online, uh, whatever you can to uh, to spread the word, and we'll keep uh, keep this going. Uh, day 13 of the Mass Casualty Commission is, is over. I watched uh, the proceedings today. Actually, I, I took a break in the afternoon and watched a little bit of it later on uh, the, uh, just on the video feed, the, the lawyer's submissions, which came at the end of the day. There was a few other things, though. First, there was uh, foundational documents, two foundational document presentations, and then there was a witness, uh, Dr. Matthew Bowes, the uh, chief medical examiner for the province of Nova Scotia. The two foundational documents dealt with uh, Highway uh, 224, the death of uh, Jean Goulet, and then uh, the other foundational document dealt with the, the big stop, uh, the big stop at the big stop, uh, the death of uh, Gabriel Wartman, the mass killer, by uh, Constables uh, Craig Hubley and uh, uh, Ben McLeod. So, I'm going to get to those uh, first, uh, just a couple of things that came up in the intervening time between uh, Monday's uh, video and today's proceedings. There was a story in the uh, Chronicle Herald on Saltwire about the uh, radio hearing ability that the killer may have had. Now, I've speculated about this or thought about this a few times, in particular about the Onslow Belmont fire hall situation. But overall, it seemed like the killer did have some ability to stay ahead or, or avoid, uh, elude capture. And so there was some speculation, uh, including, uh, I certainly shared this speculation, that maybe he had some ability to listen in on the radio chatter. And there was a story in the Herald that talked about how he had purchased this Motorola police radio uh, years ago. Uh, and it was burned in the fire, but it certainly could have been functional and that there were significant chunks of time overnight where many of what would normally have been encrypted conversations were had to be broadcast over unencrypted channels and so certainly the killer may have heard quite a bit of that. Now I had thought of this in a slightly different way when it came to the Onslow Belmont situation because the killer, you recall, had gone, had gone past the fire hall about 10 minutes before uh, Constables Brown and Melanson showed up and started shooting and so I speculated, well, had the killer access to radio, maybe he would have broadcast something to say, look, there's a sighting at the fire hall, and that's what led. Because when you look at the distances, and particularly where I've been there and I've seen the, the vantage points, the way they come down the road and stop well before the fire hall, there's just no way you would do that and, and be confident that you have seen the right person and start shooting. It seems likely that they had some information. Now there's nothing to suggest that we've seen so far that the killer in fact was broadcasting anything over the radio if he did have radio capabilities. But I went back through the CERT report to see, answer this question, had Brown and Melanson any uh, private communications from anybody over their private phones? We know many officers were using their phones for different purposes that night to avoid tying up the radio or to get map data or whatever. And so I wonder whether uh, Constables Brown and Melanson may have received somebody, send him a message, hey, he's in front of the fire hall, or something along those lines. Any kind of information that led them to this, uh, what just seems like a, a rash, um, uh, 
decision to shoot from a distance. And of course, uh, there's dispute over whether they showed it a warning and all those sorts of things. So uh, I looked through the CERT report and their personal phones and the information, call logs, all that stuff, none of that was used or, invest or was part of the CERT investigation. And it doesn't appear that the Mass Casualty Commission has sought those records either. So be curious to see, uh, to wonder if they're called as witnesses, presuming that they will be called as witnesses, whether uh, that information will will come out. Uh, certainly should. It certainly would. It would fit the description of of events as uh, laid out by the witnesses, and would certainly explain something, explain their actions. Uh, perhaps they're trying to protect somebody whoever gave them the uh, what turned out to be I guess false information if that was the case so just something that I caught through the uh, the Saltwire Chronicle Herald article uh, which was, uh, was really interesting so we'll see uh, that report that they referenced in there about the the radio communications uh, I couldn't find a copy of that report but that'll be posted at some point now so for today's proceedings otherwise uh, some very important details uh, from, first of all, uh, the death of Gina Goulet. And we know uh, Miss Goulet was a denturist, same as uh, Gabriel Wartman was, and that at one point he had asked her to come work for him in Dartmouth. She said no. Uh, we There's some news reports that there was a, a, you know, a dispute or some comment that she made at a conference a year or two beforehand that may have embarrassed him. He knew where her cottage was. They passed it. They him and uh, Miss Banfield had passed it the day before when they went driving so uh, certainly they were known to each other but remember now the killer was just leaving the scene of uh, the Heidi Stevenson and uh, Joey Weber killings and going south on uh, the 224 there's a witness that says he drove past Miss Goulet's house and then turned back around so of course the killer would be aware at this point that he's been identified and uh, many people will have seen the vehicle he was driving and so uh, it seems that just because he did this U-turn and drove back to Miss Goulet's place and into her yard, hid behind her house, went in, uh, and after he killed her, he looks like he got changed and took her vehicle. Perhaps uh, not so much a targeted killing as just him wanting to extend his, uh, his killing spree by disguising himself, getting a different vehicle. Uh, if I was um, just interpreting his actions, that's what it seems to indicate. Uh, he left his RCMP clothing behind, although, of course, he took his, his guns with him. Now, we go from there, uh, and the killer goes... The, the next part of the day was the foundational document presentation of the Big Stop. My biggest question coming into this was whether the Mass Casualty Commission was going to follow the lead of CERT, who ignored uh, a very key piece of information. It seemed this uh, earlier incident at the Petro-Canada in Elmsdale, which is not far away, where the killer had driven originally, because Miss Goulet's car was on empty, he drove originally to the Petrocan in Elmsdale to try to fill up. The pumps were turned off, but at the same time he's arriving, the ERT uh, van or SUV is arriving from the other direction, and they pull up basically to the same pump. Uh, the killer pulls up to the wrong side and then tries to fix that, but uh, the pumps are turned off because of everything that was going on, and so both parties have to leave. It doesn't appear that the Earth Squad uh, recognized him, although they were looking at uh, Wartman while they were there, just a few feet away. But nevertheless, they go, then go to uh, the big stop where Wartman uh, pulls up to the gas station again and uh, sits in his vehicle for a few seconds, it sounds like, uh, you know, 
15-20 seconds or before the other ERT vehicle pulls up. Unrelated and as far as the Mass Casualty Commission is concerned or what they're explaining to us, unaware of this previous incident or previous, uh, not well, sighting or not sighting at the Elmsdale Petro-Canada. Uh, Constables uh, Hubley, who was driving, and dog handler. Uh, Craig Hubley, I, I knew a little bit from uh, Anna Ganesh. He was posted there for a while. Very good officer. Had a good reputation and a very diligent worker there. I don't know um, Constable McLeod, who was in the passenger seat with him. Uh, they are going to testify tomorrow, so we'll look forward to hearing from them uh, and you know their personal experience of it. But it sounds like they, according to their statement, just uh, they needed to get gas as well. We're unsure how long they were going to be still uh, pursuing the killer and so pulled up to, to get gas. Constable Hubley says he identified the killer and then uh, took the actions he did, which was to uh, pull his gun out, look over, and as soon as the killer raised uh, a hand, uh, apparently in, you know to take a shot or to raise his, his gun hand, then Constable Hubley uh, started shooting. Uh, Constable McLeod did as well and the killer was, uh, was finished. Well, we found out in today's presentation, and this had been reported previously by Frank Magazine, that the killer, in fact, had shot himself uh, as well. Uh, he had discharged uh, one bullet, and it was a self-inflicted uh, wound. Although, Dr. Bose, the chief medical examiner, indicates that, uh, in his opinion, it wasn't that one shot that killed himself, but it was the shots from Constables uh, Hubley and uh, McLeod. So, uh, not, not really much turns on that, I suppose, although it's relevant that the, the killer's plan seemed to be to go as long as he could. He had five weapons, all kinds of ammunition still in the car. Go as long as he could uh, until, you know, it was over and, or he couldn't escape and then um, kill himself. Certainly, uh, that seems to be, well, it's what he did. So, one would imagine that he may have uh, given that some thought prior to uh, those moments. Uh, they were 12 and 11 shots taken by the two officers, respectively, and um, yeah, there was lots of lots of ammunition found and and all of those things. So um, so that was the end of it. Although they they took him out of the car afterwards and tied his hands behind his back for some reason. That's it's not quite clear. We'll see what the officers say about that. That seems like a an unnecessary precaution under the circumstances. Uh, so that was the uh, the foundational document of the the sort of final moments at the big stop. There's a few things not covered in there, but that have been revealed uh, by the media, and they were included actually in the foundational documents. One is that Constable Brown, whose name we're familiar with now, had almost a third blue-on-blue -blue shooting where he was involved. This time, it was a Halifax Regional Police officer who was stationed behind a vehicle that was at a police checkpoint and there's radio traffic from uh, Constable Brown that suggests that they were going to get him uh, and thankfully uh, no shots were fired. That situation was cleared up uh, quickly enough to avert any uh, some mortal danger. The second thing was there were two, just so if people know the Big Stop exit, you go up, if you're going towards Halifax, go up on the right and you pass by the way station for, uh, for transfer trucks. There were two RCMP SUVs, one that went down the wrong way on the ramp, and then one that went up just before the killer arrived at the big stop. And apparently those uh, SUVs have been unaccounted for, 
with uh, as far as GPS is concerned. Uh, nobody's identified who the officers were that were in those vehicles or what they were doing there or what they saw or anything else. So uh, some, some questions emerging from that. And none of that mentioned in the foundational document uh, presentation uh, by Ms. Mancini. So some questions still emerging about that situation. Then, of course, that draws questions about the process. Uh, two other things happened. One uh, today. One was that we heard from Dr. Bose. Dr. Bose testified first about uh, the killer and the postmortem uh, there, which I've mentioned. I also talked about Heather O'Brien and the Hunter Road incident. We talked about this a number of times, and uh, this is, has the, the Fitbit situation, where her Fitbit data was still recording heart rate up to eight hours later after she was uh, thought to be have been dead. Dr. Bose says that in fact she did die of uh, multiple gunshot wounds, uh, four shots, uh, one through the brain, one through the aorta, either of which would have uh, killed her you know, almost immediately. Uh, certainly the, the shot to the brain, uh, he says, would have ended her consciousness basically immediately. So um, he said he used the words rapidly and certainly lethal. So in his view, anyway, that's a, a clear case where she died basically instantly. And uh, anyway, I'm not, I'm not sure if that closes the door completely. I certainly have a lot of respect for Dr. Bose. People will be familiar with him. He knows uh, he was very much involved and critical in getting the Desmond inquiry started and testified uh, very ably there. was very helpful to the Desmond family. And uh, so I have a great deal of respect for him. Knew him on previous cases as well. So a lot of respect for his work. By his own admission, I suppose, he's not a, an expert on uh, Fitbits or uh, fitness trackers, but certainly uh, his, his testimony today should be perhaps comforting, if that word can be used under these circumstances, to the family that um, you know, their loved one was not laying there alive for, for hours after the fact. Now, the last thing today was the uh, submissions from the lawyers for the various parties about witnesses and gaps in the foundational documents and I won't go through all of them because there there were many uh, many gaps identified many witnesses that need to be called and I would say that the submissions were respectful but highly critical of the process that has been uh, unfolding through the Mass Casualty Commission proceedings uh, the the brevity, the short presentations of these foundational documents, which are you know many many pages. Uh, one was nearly a hundred pages long, yet we're you know we get half an hour or one hour presentation missing many of the key details. Well, you know the point being, if you're if you're not going to have witnesses, if you're going to rely on these foundational documents, then make sure that the presentations are thorough. The other thing is the delay between the foundational document presentation and then an opportunity to speak to the gaps and any witnesses. So, you know, if you if you want a, a complete and, and trustworthy factual narrative, it's good to have all of those things happening at once and so, um, you know, you have, you can be thorough about it and, and people remember what's just been said or what's been said about a certain topic. So, uh, I look to hear, so the, the lawyers were, like I say, respectful but highly critical, looking to hear from witnesses. Um, I'd say I would look to hear now a strong and direct response, a statement from the commissioners, perhaps even tomorrow morning when we get started, reacting to these criticisms. Like, do, do they understand, uh, you know, say something that makes us know, that lets us know that you understand 
and you're alive to these criticisms and you you know plan to do something about it to to address them i mean they're they're fair criticisms they are widespread uh, by uh, you know very reasonable people so if not if we don't hear from the commissioners directly responding to those criticisms i wouldn't be surprised if you start hearing pressure coming for direct political intervention uh, to uh, to fix what's been you know going astray about some of these procedural issues so uh, that was that was it for today day 13 some uh, very important uh, information of course the uh, the critical last moments uh, and the death of Miss Goulet uh, tomorrow we're going to hear witnesses we're going to hear from Constable Hubley we're going to hear from Constable McLeod not sure anything else is on the schedule those were what was uh, identified uh, so we'll look forward to that tomorrow and I'll be back with uh, be watching it live and reacting on Twitter and doing uh, back to talk about it after the day is done tomorrow so until then we will see you next time